You can turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 14, looking at verses 15 through 17. Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. You know, one of the fun things about having a bunch of little kids around my house is that every now and then I get to act like one. And so I get to play with their toys and go outside and, and play games with them. Every now and then I'll jump on the trampoline, like those, those types of fun things. You get to kind of be a kid a little bit. And one of the things that my kids love doing around our house um, is playing hide-and-seek. They absolutely love playing hide-and-seek where, you know, usually they go into my bedroom and they count and they like coming to try to find dad, and then they like hiding, and I go out and try to find them. But, like, compared to them, the game of hide-and-seek for me is just fundamentally unfair. Like, it's just not a fair competition, because there aren't a whole lot of places around the house where I can hide. In fact, I really can't think of any. It was a little easier when they were younger. They were, e- they were easier to fool. Like, I could hide somewhere and they would pass. I, I loved doing this. I loved playing this trick on them. Like they would go to my bed and they would count with the door shut. And maybe I'd hide somewhere back near my bedroom. And uh, when they walked past, I would sneak out of my hiding place because it really wasn't a great hiding place. And then I would just go sit on the bed, like the very place that they were counting, you know. So they, of course, dad's not there because, you know, we just left that room. That's where we counted. And they'd go all through the house and eventually they'd come back and find me. Like that's about the best I could do because... As I looked for other hiding uh, places, like I try to hide behind the curtains, but my feet always stick out, you know, and it's just like this, you walk past the window and there's this big bump there, right? I try to hide like under a blanket, even on the couch, you know, things are, you know, I'm counting on things generally, you know, they're messy, there's bundles of piles of blankets places, so I'll just get under one. Nope, they come right to me, right? It, do- it doesn't really matter where I hide, they always seem to, to, to find me immediately. <clears throat> but it's a fun game. I like, I like playing hide-and-seek with them because it challenges me, like, can I fit in that space? Nope, I'm going to have to lose some weight. I'm going to fit in this little place. Um, but playing hide-and-seek with my kids is, is a lot of fun. It, it's, a, it's a cool game. And today we're going to be talking about what God is like because I, as a father, I enjoy playing those kinds of games with my kids, and I like picking on them. But the question is, is Father God like that? Like, I mean, no, Father God likes fun. It's, he's not like, um, hey, you can have no fun in your life, just, you know, work all the time. That, that's not the picture of God. But does, but does God enjoy tricking us the way that I enjoy tricking my kids? And, and I would say the, the answer is, is absolutely no. And there's this, this image of God sometimes that we have where it's God is playing some kind of cosmic game of hide and seek. Like, like he's up there, but he really doesn't want us to see him. He really doesn't want us... Uh, to know him. He's just kind of hiding. He's, he's hidden in such a way. And this becomes a, a problem for some people because they tend to think that, you know, maybe God should be a little bit more obvious. It might feel to some people like God is hiding from them. And they think, well, why doesn't God make his presence more clear? Why isn't it even more obvious? And this is often um, called the hidden of God. And today we, we want to take a look at this idea that is the hiddenness of God. We want to ask ourselves, is this an actual reality? You may hear the charge, God should make himself more clear. And 
when you hear that charge, it's important that you begin to think about the underlying assumptions that that charge makes. And so maybe this is for you this morning, or maybe this is just to equip you to help someone else think this through. But if you've heard this charge, well, why isn't it more clear that God is there, that God exists? There are some assumptions that we need to examine to see if that's a a fair accusation or not. All right? So one of the things that we want to ask when we hear this charge of the hiddenness of God, we want to ask, well, is God actually hiding? Does God delight in duping us the way that I like tricking my kids? Mm, I, don't, I don't think so. And so if you'll recall where we've been over the last number of months is talking about the many different ways that God reveals himself. We've talked about how God reveals himself in creation. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 talks about the heavens and it says they declare the glory of God and that the skies proclaim the work of his hands. That day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. Like God is revealing himself in the things that he has made. This is what we saw when we looked at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It says, there are some things that can be known about God by looking at what God has made. And specifically, we saw that it was God's eternal power and, and divine nature that are understood when we examine the things that God has made. So we see that God is eternal, we see that he's immensely powerful, and we see that he is, he is truly divine, which means he's, he's transcendent, he's beyond us, he's not part of this material creation, he's not like us, he, he exists um, just way above anything that we can think of or imagine, far beyond this material universe, this, this space and time that we exist in, right? So again, we, we looked at those things a number of weeks ago. All these, these sermons, if you want, they're all on the website. You can go back and, and check those things out. We saw that God makes himself known in our human experiences, the way that, that we live and the way that we think and the way that we reason. We specifically looked at how God reveals himself in our moral experience. And we said that we all experience this idea of right and wrong, good and evil, And we said that God is basically the only way that we can ground objective morality. Without God, we end up in a place where it's just your preferences and my preferences, and there really is no ultimate right and wrong. But none of us experience the world that way. There are things that we would look at and say, that is absolutely wrong, or that is absolutely good. And the only way that we can understand that, the only way we can make sense of something like that, is by grounding goodness in the nature of, of God. So God reveals himself in our moral experience. In that passage in Romans, it talks about people who didn't have God's law, but they still understood right and wrong and how the conscience, their conscience and their thoughts within them uh, accuse them of doing right and defend them when they, um, excuse me, accuse them of doing wrong and defend them when they do right. Like God's law is written on our hearts. So our moral experience points to God. We've said that God makes himself known in the person of Jesus. And, you know, over the past months, even through Christmas time and all, all that season, we, we've talked about how Jesus came, the Word became flesh to reveal the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. It says that in, in, in the latter days, in, in, in the past, God spoke through prophets. But, but, but in these times, 
God has spoken to us by His Son, is what it tells us there in Hebrews. And so Jesus Christ reveals God to us. He is God in the flesh. Last week specifically, we looked at how God reveals Himself through the witness of the Holy Spirit. And we saw in John chapter 15, verse 26, that, that uh, the, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father testifies about Jesus. We saw that He convicts the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment, and He leads us into all truth. The, the role of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus who glorifies God, right? So God is revealing Himself in these ways. And if you remember way back in October, November, we spent a lot of time talking about this book that's in front of us. We spent a lot of time talking about the Bible and why we believe it's, it's the, the very Word of God, the, the written Word of God, and how the Holy Spirit oversaw the writing of this book so that what we have is the verbal, plenary, inspired Word of God. All the words, every word that is in this book come from God, and they are authoritative for our lives. 2 Timothy 3, it tells us that the Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation and that they are God-breathed and suitable for training and correction and, and rebuking so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? So God, we've talked about the many different ways that He's revealing Himself. And so we can continue to ask the question, well, is, is it true that, that God is hiding? I'm going to look here at Acts chapter 14 today. And to give you a little context, we're going to read a couple of verses. But again, we never just want to read a couple of verses without understanding the context. Every now and then when I'm preaching, I maybe won't explain the context. But, but, it, but it's your job to go, wait, what did he say and what verse did he use? And is that what that's saying in that context? I don't have time all the time to give the context. But when I share a scripture, um, the idea is I'm not trying to make it say something it's not. I'm, I'm trying to keep it within its context and, and get the point that the original author was trying to make, right? So in Acts chapter 14, verse 15 through 17, we have a statement by Paul. And what's been happening is Paul and Barnabas are going around and they're preaching the good news. They're, they're sharing the word of God in different places in different cities. And one day, they see a, a man who is lame, and uh, by the power of Jesus, this man is healed. And so the people of the city that they're in, they freak out because they just saw someone who's been lame healed. Like, I'd probably freak out too, right? i get all excited. Well, their background, their understanding of the world is basically the world of the Greek gods, right? And so when they see this power put on display, they immediately go, the gods are here, Right? And they, they look at Barnabas and they think, well, he must be Zeus. And Paul, he talks a lot, so he's, he's Hermes. Hermes is the messenger of the gods, right? The one who talks a lot. So Paul, he talks a lot. He must be Hermes. And they, they like, just gather all these people around, and they're going to um, make sacrifices to them. They're actually going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they're the Greek gods. And so we pick up our reading here in, in verse 15, and this is Paul he, he says this to them. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. 
He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And it says in verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So we look here at what Paul says. Again, the, the scenario is they're bringing these sacrifices. And Paul's like, no, 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 we're just, we're just people like you. Like, like, don't do this. He said, we're, we're coming and we're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from um, your worthless idols to the true and living God. And this true and living God, he explains who he is. He's the one who made everything. Right? This is all the, the stuff that we've been talking about lately, right? He's, he's the one who, who made everything. And, and what we see here and is an example of what might be called common grace, that there is a goodness of God that permeates the world. Even though the Bible says that we live in a fallen world, we go all the way back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve in the garden and he created the whole world and he looked at, them, he looked at everything and said, it is very good, right? And so we saw how sin brings curse, sin brings death, sin brings um, troublesome toil. There's, there's a curse upon the ground, a curse upon the earth. But even in the midst of all of that, there is still a goodness that permeates creation. And this is, this is from God. And the idea is that any goodness that we experience in the world is a result of God's goodness. And so Paul says, don't sacrifice to sacrifice to us. We're just proclaiming the God who made all this stuff. And it says, in the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left, left himself without testimony. He's not left himself without a witness, without something that points to him. He says, he has shown you kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. That as we experience the natural world and its blessings, it is evidence of the kindness of God. That God has created the world in such a way that even though there's troublesome toil because of the curse, that there's still blessing that comes from the earth. And it's not just stuff that we can eat, but also joy that fills our hearts. In, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the, the problem of evil, and why does a good God allow evil in the world? Why is there so much pain and suffering? And that's a, a question that we have to dive deeply into to try to wrestle with and, and understand as best as we can. But we might also reply, why is there any good in the world? As I said earlier, without God, you can't ground the idea of goodness. Why should we expect anything good at all on these other worldviews? And, and, and the picture here is that any goodness that we experience in the world is ultimately a gift from God and bears witness to the goodness of His character, His love and kindness and patience with us. That even though we're, we're sinners, even though we were doing our own thing, that God still left Himself a witness to His goodness. So when we experience joy, gladness, blessing, these things point us to God. We continue, is God playing some kind of cosmic game of hide-and-seek? And, seek? and I, I think that the answer is no. We're going to look over at Acts chapter 17. We've, we've looked at this passage before. It's, it's so rich, and it's so foundational to explaining our worldview in a very succinct and, and just straightforward manner. And in, in cha at chapter 17, verse 26, 
you've got Paul speaking, and, he, and he's describing what God is like. So it says here that from one man, he, God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. All right? So Paul is explaining how God made the world. And he says, from one man, he made all the nations, right? There is one race, the, the human race. And he put them on the earth exactly where he wanted them, right? So the, the, the idea here is that, that you grew up in this time, in this place, because of the providence of God. God put you here in this moment because it was his plan. And he did it for a reason, and that reason is this, so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now, this looks like, well, is God hiding that we would have to seek him? No, the point is, if you look, he, he hammers home, he is close, he is not far from each one of us. But he's determined the times and places that you would live, the circumstances in which you're placed, they're designed to... to make you question and go, God, are you there? And he's like, yep, I'm right here. He's not like me trying to hide behind the curtain, you know? He's not like, like me trying to fit into that tight space in between the couches, you know? Hopefully they don't see my foot sticking out. You know, God's, God's not like that at all. He wants to reveal himself, and he's placed you where he's placed you on the earth and in history so that you would go, God, where are you? And he's like, hey, I'm right here. I'm not far from you, right? His desire is to make himself known. So when we ask the question, we talk about the hiddenness of God, and now I might put it in, 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 in quotations, the, the hiddenness of God. We would ask, is God hiding? And I, I think the answer is no. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have times of doubt. That doesn't mean that we don't have times of, of struggling with our faith. That doesn't mean we, we don't wrestle with some things. But, but I think, as we looked at all the different ways that God reveals himself, that all of creation points to God. Jesus points to God. God has given us his written word. He's given us the, the blessings of the earth to make us look for him. And if we look, we'll find him. So the next question that we have to ask then is what does God want? Remember, we're, we're trying to think through this, this accusation. Well, God's presence, God's existence should be more obvious. And so the next question we want to ask is, well, what is it that, that God actually wants? Well, it's important that we know that God does not want mere knowledge of his existence. That is not God's goal. In fact, Scripture talks about a, a category of beings that understand that God exists, and they, there's a, a, they have a problem. It's, it, he talks about the demons, and in James 2.19 it says, you believe that there's one God? Well, good, but even the demons believe that and they shudder, right? Like, there's, there's this idea that simply knowing that God exists is not the goal in life. And that's not what God desires for his creatures. The, the demons, they had a knowledge of God, but they didn't have a proper response to God. And so, what is it that God is looking for? Well, I think the Bible teaches that, that God desires that we freely enter into a relationship of love and trust with him. 
that this is God's goal. That he created mankind to walk with him. We see this picture of man in the garden, ruling and reigning with God. And it's important to understand that that we have a choice, and this is affirmed over and over and over again, that God invites us to come into this relationship with him, and we can choose to receive it, or we can choose to reject it. God did not create us as, as robots that would simply do whatever he wanted. I would submit that a real relationship of love and trust is not possible in a scenario where you're dealing with the robot. In fact, you know, I have a version of a robot in my house. We call her Alexa. And, you know, and I say, Alexa, do this, and hopefully she does it if she's you know, kind of like smart enough to do it. There's a lot of things that she doesn't get. But in no way, shape, or form would I ever think that I had some kind of a relationship of love and trust with Alexa. In fact, Hannah wants to bury her in the backyard. But um, that's, another, that's another topic. Um, that's another thing. But in, in no way, shape, or form could, could you have a real relationship of love and trust with a machine. God didn't design us as machines. He created us as free agents, free personal moral agents with the ability to make choices. And I would submit to you that the idea of love requires choice. Those of you who, you know, have good relationships with your family members, imagine this. Imagine that family member couldn't do anything but make you happy. They had no other choice. They couldn't do anything else than what you wanted them to do. Now, you might like that. That sounds good. You know, you might, you might like that, but I don't know that you could describe that relationship as a relationship of loving. Love is something that we freely give. It is a giving of ourselves freely making sacrifices for the good of the other person. And while we might love a world, we might enjoy a world where everybody does everything that we want, we wouldn't describe those relationships as loving. They would just be like working with the computer and it does what it's either, it either works or it's broken, but it doesn't love me. Machines don't love. So God did not want relationships with robots. God wanted relationships with free personal agents, people who were able to make choices and respond to him. And that's why we see all these commands in Scripture, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved, right? God is calling us to make a choice. And so God wants us to freely enter into this loving relationship with him. Scripture talks about this relationship of faith. It's a relationship of trust. And in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So there's two parts, right? Like you have to believe that God exists. That's, that's, that's good. Knowledge of his, his existence is required. But you have to believe that he will reward you if you seek him, that, that he will show up when you're looking for him, that he will make himself known when you say, Hey, God, are you there? He's like, Hey, I'm not far from you. I'm right here, right? Over and over again in Scripture, we see this theme of God walking with people. All the way back in in the book of Genesis, we see when God establishes covenants, the terms of his relationship with different groups of people. With Abraham, for instance, he says, I'm going to um, be your God and your descendants are going to be my people. We see it in the relationship that he outlines with the Israelites. And this theme shows up over and over again so that the writers of the New Testament, they, they, they quote this idea. Um, we see this in 2 Corinthians 6. 
verses 16 through 18. It says, As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be like a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. So God is looking for this um, relationship of intimacy and closeness as a father with sons and daughters, that, that he would truly be our God, that we would, that would serve him above all things, and that, that we would be his people. Right? We read this morning in the psalm that we are the, the flock, the sheep of his pasture, right? Like he cares for us this intimate, close relationship. In fact, this is the goal. This is what all creation is working toward as we see laid out at the end of the book of Revelation. We, we see the, the city of God coming down and God establishing his dwelling place on earth. In Revelation 21.3, it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God right? This, this close relationship that God wants to inhabit this life with us. As God is dealing with his people Israel as they've been rebellious, um, he reminds them that he's not just interested in their sacrifices. He's not just interested in them going through the motions of doing their religious duty and bringing sacrifices to the temple, but rather he says this in Micah 6, 8, he says, he has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That we would humbly walk in his presence in abiding relationship with him. We see it in, in the greatest commandment that gets repeated out throughout the Gospels. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That God is presenting us with a choice to walk with him or not. That's his desire, that it would be a relationship of intimacy and love and trust. This is God's goal. So we come back to our first question then. And it would be something like this. Well, shouldn't God be more obvious? Shouldn't it be more clear that he is there and wants this relationship with us? Well, we've got to ask some questions about that. What, what would that look like? We've already said God reveals himself. He's not hiding. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in the Bible. He reveals himself in the person of Jesus. He reveals himself through the Holy Spirit. He reveals himself through common grace and the good things that he provides us. What would it look like? Something that was a bit more intrusive, right? Let, let's imagine. I don't know. Um, do you ever um, buy a product and you look at it? It's got a little sticker and very often it says like made in China or made in Vietnam, or something like that. Like, let's imagine a scenario where, like, we, we looked at, you know, all that was made, and when you looked really closely at it somewhere, maybe even on the microscopic level, it said, made by God. Like, that, that would be kind of fun. I mean, maybe, you know, that, that would be a, a way that God could make himself more known, right? Or maybe, like, in the night sky, in the stars. The stars weren't just, like, in random patterns, but it was like, I am here signed God, right? Like, like that, that would be a way that God could make himself more clear. Like, maybe there are more, more subtle ways than that, but, but should God do something like that? Well, that assumes that God is merely interested in you knowing that he exists, and that the more people that know 
that God exists in that way are then going to naturally enter into a loving relationship with him. But I don't see how that necessarily follows. I don't see how, that, how God putting his name up in the sky necessarily leads to more people entering into a loving, trusting relationship with him. And I picture this. As the thing is, like, it might lead to more rejection. It might lead to resentment and rebellion. Imagine, like, God has given us the gift of earthly fathers, right? Mine's in the back right over there, right? Like, just this picture, you know, like, Dad's a, a good dad. I don't know what your experience like, was like with your fathers. Maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. But, but the idea, that the, the, the healthy situation is that, you know, our fathers are there to, to raise us and to teach us how to live a good life in the Lord, right? And so, from a very early age, fathers begin to teach their children right from wrong. Do this, don't do that. Hey, that's dangerous. You know, stay away from that. That will lead to destruction, right? Just, like, imagine that scenario being, being healthy, all right? And so, Dad, he did, a, he did a pretty good job of that. I had a good sense of, of, of right and wrong and him teaching me a right way to live and to go about life, right? But, but now, I'm 37? Yeah, I think I'm 37. I'm, I'm 37. And just, just imagine that he was still in my life in the same way uh, that he was when I was five, right? When I was five, I kind of needed him to be there and to look over me and like, hey, don't do that, right? But imagine that, that he, he followed me around, my dad, and was like always like right here at the back of my shoulder. And whatever I did, like, oh, hi, dad, you're still there, right? And his like presence was just right there all the time. Would that lead to love and respect? If he was like, hey, don't do that. Stop it. That's going to, I wouldn't do that if I were like, would that lead to like respect and appreciation? Probably not. Like I'd probably start to hate him a little bit. Like I don't really, don't really need you right now to tell me what you think. Cause like I want to do my thing, you know, like I probably wouldn't like my dad very much. And this is a picture. It's like, there's no guarantee that God making himself more known in some obvious way that that would lead to a loving relationship. We might just come to hate him. Uh, a while back, uh, Margaret got me this sign. Because we, we've talked about this idea some. And then this sign, I put it up at the house because it's a fun joke. And I don't know if you can read it from back there, but it says, I saw that, and it's signed, God. You know, like, that, like that, that phrase, written in the stars, I am here, might be like this sign, hey, I saw that. Or when you looked at, you know, something really closely and it said there's a little sticker or some way it says made by God, it might just be another reminder of his presence. Yes, we, we believe that he exists, but we might actually come to hate his presence because in our freedom, we don't always want to do what he wants us to do. And I think that the biblical worldview, the, the biblical examples give us a picture of this and what it's actually like. Uh, for example, we can, we can look at a couple of different ways that, that Scripture reveals that when God makes himself more obvious, it's not guaranteed that more people will follow him. We can look at the example of the fallen angels. They apparently had some kind of level of knowledge of God that we don't have, some knowledge of the spiritual realm, and yet they rebelled. In Jude 1.6, it says, the angels did not keep their positions of authority, but they abandoned their proper dwelling. And it says God has these... Um, these bound for, for judgment on the great day of judgment. 
right? So, so the angels, they had some kind of access to God that may, we maybe don't have right now, and yet they rebelled. We can look at the examples of the Israelites in the wilderness. And in fact, I would ask you to turn there quickly. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting with verse 1, it says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This picture of the Israelites, it says that they were all under the cloud. Like God led them around the desert with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They all walked through the sea, right? They, the, the sea parted and they walked through on dry land. These people saw miracle after miracle. They saw the manna come down from heaven, how God provided food for them. They saw the quail that God provided for them. They saw water. Like Moses strikes a rock in the middle of the desert and water pours out of it, right? They saw miracle after miracle. They heard the voice of God come from the mountain the day when God gave the Ten Commandments. They heard the voice. They saw the, the, the clouds, the lightning, the, the, the fire on the mountain, and they, they, they witnessed the very presence of God. And yet, what did they do? Well, it tells us here that, that they became idolaters, that they were sexually immoral, that they put God to the test, that they grumbled. Is it a guarantee that God shows up in some miraculous way that people are going to trust in Him? The answer is no, it's not a guarantee. The, the Bible speaks of the condition of man as, as rejecting God. And so even the Jews in Jesus' day, like in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Like, how much more obvious can it get than that, that God is standing in front of you? And it says some of them believed, but the rest, the, the, the leaders of the Jews, they went and plotted how they could put him to death. Some more obvious example of how God is here, written in the sky in some kind of way, is not a guarantee that we would enter into a loving, trusting relationship with God. So how might we answer this then, this idea of the hiddenness of God? Well, I'd submit to you that God is not hiding from us. He's made himself known in all these different ways. He is constantly revealing himself in the goodness that we experience on this earth. But he has made himself known in such a way that it allows us to act with freedom. That he will not override our ability to make free choices and freely choose him. And we can freely choose to walk with him or we can freely choose to reject him. And God has not... Uh, made himself known in some more overt way 
because it may not lead to this loving relationship that he desires. See, he's created us to be creatures of significance, that our choices matter. What we do matters in this life. And his goal is to get us to a point of loving, trusting relationship with him, where we truly commit ourselves to him and follow him as creator and maker and God of all, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the God who made me. And will you experience the beauty of his being and, and the richness of his love and the outpouring of his goodness and joy? That's what he wants us uh, to know. That's what he desires for us. God isn't interested in just having people serve him to make him feel better. God is not like struggling with self-esteem. He, he, he doesn't need you to worship him to, to make him feel good. He doesn't even need you to do things for him so that something can get done. Like, God is all-powerful. He doesn't need that stuff. He is offering us and inviting us into a relationship of joy and peace and life in Jesus. And the question is, will we look at all the ways that he has made himself known and go, I'm not interested, God. I would rather do my own thing. Or will we look at all the ways that he has made himself known and we say, God, are you there? And he'll say, I'm not far from you. I'm right here. And he will continue to pour out his love and kindness and goodness in our lives. So the question is, will you walk with him? Will you enter into that relationship of love and trust where this grace of God is freely flowing from the heart of the Father into your life that you might experience the true and abundant life that Jesus offers. He's there if we only turn to him and receive what he longs to give us. Would you pray with me today? Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we've had to study your word together. Lord, I pray that, Lord, these wouldn't just simply be ideas, but rather, God, they would go be truths that go deeply into our hearts. God, and as we wrestle with things in life, as we wrestle with uh, feeling sometimes that we, we can't hear clearly or we don't see clearly. God, I pray by your grace that you would remind us of your presence and of your love. And God, as we talk to people who are dealing with this issue and are wondering, where are you? God, I pray that we might, in love, speak truth and hope about the life that comes from Jesus. God, I pray that you would continue to make yourself known. God, you're infinite. Your, your depths are unfathomable, but you make yourself truly known. God, I pray that we would continue to grow in that knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.